You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. That word regulation, so I went to Blue Letter Bible and, you know, went and saw the Greek word. And the Greek word, you know what it literally means? Regulations for worship? Here's what it means. Established judicial decisions. I don't get it. Established judicial decisions. God made the established judicial decisions to how he is to be worshipped, how he is to be approached. And here's the bottom line. It is non-negotiable. Have you ever been told that you can just worship in whatever way you're comfortable? Whoever said that likely had good intentions. They didn't want you to feel pressured or intimidated in church. But the thing is, worship is not subject to your preferences. It's not about what you're comfortable with or what you like. It's all about God. Today, Pastor Danny will clarify what Scripture has to say about how we should be worshiping God. And if our preferences don't line up, we're the ones that need to change. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 with today's edition of The Living Word. Paul said, I don't know if it was in the body or out of the body, but he talks about an experience he had 14 years prior to writing this, and he says, I was caught up to the third heaven. That's where God dwells. That's the most holy place. That's what this typifies. That's what this speaks of. And in this most holy place is the most important piece of furniture in the tabernacle. It's the Ark of the Covenant. The cover for the Ark was made of pure gold. Imagine trying to lift that thing. It had on each end of it, on the top, these angelic creatures, and their wings are upward, and they're facing one another. Psalm 80, verse 1, Psalm 99, verse 1, says that God dwells between the cherubim. He sits. That's that's his throne. That's his throne. That's what this represents. This is the most holy place where God dwells. In this ark... Yeah, you have the golden jar of manna. Jesus, again, the bread from heaven. You follow him in the ark. There's the golden jar of manna, and uh, there's Aaron's staff that budded, and there's the stone tablets, and that's the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. Now, I'm not going to get bogged down because I got bogged down on those things last night. I want to say one quick word, though, especially about Aaron's staff that budded. That's important. Numbers chapter 16 and 17 tells the story. In Numbers chapter 16, some men named Korah, Dathan, and Abiram led 250 council members under Moses, board members, to rebel. And what what they were after in their rebellion was the priesthood. And you can read about it, and we'll probably go to it in just a minute. And Moses says, hey, 
you're Levites and God's given you your responsibility in his service of worship, but you're trying to get what the law didn't prescribe for you. You're trying to get what's rightfully Aaron's and his sons. Well, they don't listen. God says, okay, we'll deal with this thing. Tell them to come out and meet and bring their censers, their censers that they want to use to go where Aaron's supposed to go and Aaron's sons are supposed to go, but they're not supposed to go. So they bring their censers and God takes care of the problem. And then after taking care of the problem, he takes all those guys' lives. Then, chapter 17 of Numbers, he says, now, take the staffs of the leaders of Israel and take Aaron's staff. And I'm going to settle this thing once and for all so that we don't have this kind of rebellion again. Lay those staffs before the testimony, and you leave them there overnight. And they come back the next day, and they get all the staffs. Everybody else's staff was just the same. It's just a dead piece of wood. But Aaron's staff had budded and blossomed and produced almonds. And God made clear through that, Aaron's the guy, he's the high priest, and only he and his descendants are to serve me in this worship tabernacle. There's a really important point to that, and I hope you got your thinking caps on and we'll bring it all together in just a little bit. Only Aaron. By the way, the sign of the budding and the blossoming and producing almonds, what is that? That's life from death. That's what it is. That's life from a dead stick, life from death. That's the sign. Aaron's the man and his descendants. Because all this stuff is a parable to teach us. Now, I got bogged down in all this stuff last night, and I went home really depressed. I really did. Nobody's ever coming back to Saturday night service. I'm certain of it. (laughs) The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed. Nothing within the regulations of the Old Testament system opened the way for man to enter the most holy place, the place where God dwells. Now, if you've been with us in our study, you know that, but I'll say it again. Second from our text, Jesus Christ is the sole mediator of a new covenant by which man can be completely forgiven, have his conscience completely cleared regarding his sin, regarding his guilt. And not only that, you can actually enter the most holy place. You can fellowship with God. And the icing on the cake, (laughs) the icing on the cake, listen, you get the eternal promised inheritance. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Everything he has, you get. Going to get a new body one day that'll never die, that'll never get old, never have pain. Going to live in a world there's no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. I mean, just amazing. Christ's sacrifice was offered once for all, and therefore will never be repeated, nor any other sacrifice added to it. So I hope you get what's happening here. Jesus offered himself. This is the parable. Jesus offered himself. Because he offered himself, we follow him. And because of his sacrifice for us, we're cleansed. Because we're cleansed, we enter in with Jesus. He's our light, the word of God. They go together, the light and the word, because the word tells us the truth. Are you with me? It's good stuff. He goes, he's our 24-hour-a-day ever living to make intercession for us. And because of his perfect sacrifice and our complete cleansing, we now have access, access. The curtain is torn, top to bottom. We have access into the very holy of holies. That's why one day I'll actually see God on his throne. Wow, cool stuff. 
started studying for this stuff on Wednesday because I took a day off on Friday and my wife and I went to Orlando to have a little fun and also visit our son who's in college over there. And so I studied Wednesday hard. And I just was so bogged down and didn't really get anything together from all the stuff I'm talking about now. And so my study Wednesday focused on the last two verses of chapter 9. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And I spent the whole day Wednesday studying for and preparing for the second coming and how close we are to the second coming. Got up Thursday morning, had my devotional time before I came to the office uh, was going to come to the office. I looked at my notes one more time, and I started to, you know, was getting ready to mark them up because we were leaving Thursday afternoon and be gone Friday. Anyway, long story made short, got up Thursday afternoon after my devotional time, and uh, before coming to the office, intending to come to the office, I looked at my notes, and the Spirit of God just seemed to say, that's not what you need to teach this week. Don't talk about the second coming. You need to teach the text. Just teach the text. What a bummer, man. What am I going to do now? So I communicate with the office. I said, guys, I'm, I'm not coming to staff meeting, not coming to the office. I, I, I got to get into this thing. I need some hours here. And up till we left Thursday afternoon to go to Orlando, here's where God took me. Both to the text, and I've given you the summary of it, all right? But then he took me back to verse 1. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. Regulations for worship. And everything I just summarized, that's the parable, that's the message. But here's the deal with the message. That word regulations, I went to Blue Letter Bible and, you know, went and saw the Greek word. And the Greek word, you know what it literally means? Regulations for worship? Here's what it means. Established judicial decisions. I don't get it. Established judicial decisions. God made the established judicial decisions to how he is to be worshiped, how he is to be approached. And here's the bottom line. It is non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. He's a holy God. And this tabernacle, this tabernacle, and the system, the whole system of it is a parable. And God wants man to know through this how a holy God is to be approached. And it is not negotiable. Let me just prove to you how non-negotiable it is. All right? Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. Stop there just a minute. Aaron's sons. Okay, Aaron, they're his sons, so they're from the lineage now that they are going to follow in dad's footsteps, and they have the right of the high priesthood, okay, under the old covenant system. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Amihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. They're going in the tabernacle. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord contrary to his command. They knew what he said. Here's what you bring and nothing else. This is the prescribed way. This is the prescribed incense. And they violated it. 
So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke about when he said, among those who approach me, I will show myself holy in sight of all the people. I will be honored. And he's no respecter of persons. Aaron's son's probably thinking, well, we're Aaron's sons. We may not do it exactly like he prescribed, but this is the way we want to do it. And God said, I'll show you what I think about that. That's why God, when he gave the blueprint for the tabernacle, he said to Moses, you make sure you make it exactly like the blueprint. That's why he was so meticulous about Aaron being the guy, Aaron's descendants, but they had to do it like God said. Or even they would suffer the consequences of their foolish actions. Numbers chapter 16. I mentioned that a few minutes ago. Numbers chapter 16, these Levites, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and all these other leaders that had followed them in their rebellion, they come to Moses and Aaron. They say, you're putting yourself above the Lord. We're just as holy as you are. And Moses said to them, hey, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work of the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? It's against the Lord that you and your followers have banded together. He says, you and all your fellow Levites, now you're trying to get the priesthood. In other words, you're trying to get what is rightfully Aaron's. And that's when God says, okay, put fire in your censers. And when they do, all the people that followed them, God opened up the earth and they fell into the heart of the earth. And then God sent fire. Listen, Verse 35, and fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. Whoa. The end of verse 40, this was to remind the Israelites that no one except a descendant of Aaron should come to burn incense before the Lord, or he would become like Korah and his followers. God's not playing around. He said, this is not negotiable. You don't do it like I prescribed. You don't approach me the way I laid it out. Then I'm a holy God, and you will suffer the consequences. Whoa. And that's why in chapter 17, Aaron's staff budded, and it was the purpose of that budding and blossoming to show, show, hey, he's the guy. Make sure you don't send anybody else but him and his followers. Second Chronicles chapter 26, king named Uzziah. Started out pretty good. He had a guy, uh, Zechariah, that was teaching him the word of God. But it says after he became powerful, he became prideful. In his pride, he too, like Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, wanted what only was reserved for Aaron. And he takes a censer, and he's on his way into the temple, and 80 courageous priests confronted him. And they said, hey, you're doing what is unlawful. You're not doing the way God prescribed. We're trying to help you here. He wouldn't listen. And while he's raging at these priests, leprosy came out on his forehead and God afflicted him with leprosy. And the end of the story is a little bit humorous because it says those priests escorted him out and he was eager to get out <laughs> because God had afflicted him. Second Samuel chapter 6, fascinating uh, story of David, King David, 
after he took the throne and God's blessing on his military campaigns. And one of the successes he had militarily is he defeated the enemy that had captured the Ark of the Covenant years before. And David and his men uh, defeat the enemy, recapture the Ark of the Covenant, and they're bringing it back into its rightful place into Jerusalem. Let me read you. They set the Ark of God, 2 Samuel 6, verse 3, on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, cisterns, and cymbals. I mean, this is a great worship service. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. Now, he's sincere in trying to make sure the ark doesn't fall off because the oxen stumbled. It's a sincere thing. You would think it's a godly move. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his ever, ever act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Next verse, listen to this. And David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. He's angry with the Lord. He doesn't understand. God took the guy's life. He's trying to, trying to help out the ark, that the ark doesn't fall because the oxen stumble. Well, David sends the ark away for a while, and, and he doesn't try to bring it back for some time. Then later, he makes a second attempt, and he's successful. And he tells us why he's successful the second time, First Chronicles chapter 15. He writes it for us, First Chronicles chapter 15. Verse 13, listen, it was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. Not only did he not use the Levites, it was never to be on a cart pulled by oxen. God had specific poles, and the Levites were to carry the ark anywhere it was to go. They didn't do it in the prescribed way. That's why, because of God's holiness, he broke out against Uzzah. I'll show myself holy. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this amazing privilege of having a vision of the Lord. It says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs angelic beings, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Here's what they're calling out. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah's response, woe to me, woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. Literally, I'm damned. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He says, wow, when I, when I saw the holiness of God, I realized, oh, man, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. Now, if you don't like this heavy kind of stuff, I don't want you to miss the point. What's the point? The terms are non-negotiable. But the terms are non-negotiable for our sake, for our sake. You don't have to wonder, how can I ever approach God? 
What's the path? What's the way? Let me read you what I couldn't write from the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Background Commentary. It's a mouthful. Again, keep your thinking cap on. Think about this. The details of the Old Covenant worship experiences related to the tabernacle must seem tedious and monotonous to most modern readers. Yet, we should not miss the key points of the Christian faith to which they speak. First, God is a holy God from whom people are separated because of sin. The sacred barrier of the holy place, the necessity of sacrifices, and the unapproachable nature of the most holy place all speak to humanity's foundational problem in relation to God. Yet, God's initiative in the construction of the tabernacle whispers his desire for more in relation to us. He wants to be approached. He wants to relate to his people. While the existence of the holy place shows the way into God's presence for his people had not yet been revealed, the sacrifices in the high priesthood demonstrate God's desire that sin not have the final word. The sacrifice in the high priesthood of Jesus gave the ultimate answer to the problem and to God's desire that we come near him. And he wanted to make it clear. And he provided an established judicial decision. This is the way. There's no other way. John chapter 14, verse 6, here's what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. 1 Timothy 2.5, there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Acts 4.12, there's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. We read in Hebrews 2, I'll read it for us again. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we don't drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, the old covenant, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Hebrews chapter 10, which we'll get to soon, verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And then he closes with this one sobering statement. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I hope you appreciate this parable. There's only one door, only one entrance. There's only one sacrifice sufficient to cleanse us, to bring us into the place of light, the place of the truth, the word of God, and the place where we have a high priest who is perpetually interceding on our behalf. And through his work, that veil has been torn from top to bottom. And we can go right into the very holy of holies. Don't you take that for granted. Don't take it for granted. And there's no other way.
It's non-negotiable. God's made it clear. Look, there aren't many roads that lead to God. There's only one. Only one. And His name is Jesus. We're so blessed to be able to share the Word of God with you on each new edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our valued listening audience. Pastor Danny will continue his study in the book of Hebrews next time, so we hope you'll join us again. We'd like to take a moment and ask you to consider partnering with us as we continue to share the hope of salvation with the world. Would you join us in praying for the listeners of The Living Word? Pray that God would touch each person with His love and open their hearts to the truth of His Word. Please pray for us also. We want to continue following God's plan for this program no matter where He asks us to go. We know the power of prayer, and we appreciate you doing this for us. Would you also ask the Lord about contributing financially to The Living Word? This program is professionally produced to provide the best quality messages possible so as not to distract from the message of the Bible. That does incur some costs, however, so if you feel led to give, visit our website at ccfstpete.church and click on the online giving guide under Forms. Any and all amounts are greatly appreciated and will be used to share the good news of Jesus' love for the world. Thank you for praying about this. That website once more is ccfstpete.church. With that, we've come to an end of our time with you today. We pray that God continues to bless you as you study His Word and open your heart to His unending love and grace. Thanks again for tuning in today to The Living Word.